how is New Zealand Inc. actually doing finally this morning now that the election's over? The World Cup's over, spring has sprung. Are the bad economic times behind us? How much light is ahead at the tunnel? There's good news and bad news. Joining us for the first time in some time is Geoffrey Halley. Uh, our regular financial correspondent, formerly the Oanda Corporation Senior Market Analyst Asia-Pacific, with his analysis regularly sought by major media like Bloomberg, the BBC and the New York Times. Geoffrey is currently Jakarta-based, alternating between there and academic life in Wales. Kia ora, Geoffrey. How are you? Kia ora. Wonderful to be here. I'm very well. Just arrived back from the United Kingdom yesterday after a year at university. And back to warmer weather. The, the, the reasonably good news first... Jeffrey, house prices in New Zealand peaked at this time two years ago, bottomed out in May this year and have since climbed a couple of percent. That sounds encouraging. How encouraging do you think? Well, I don't know if we're going to start seeing runaway prices towards the the top side again. I I think that was uh, in particularly driven by the monetary policy that was enacted during the the pandemic, and we all know how that that story ended. But I do believe, looking at the data right now, that we've seen the worst of, of the correction lower, the, the hangover that came from that pandemic boom. Uh, certainly in Auckland, for sure, there's uh, definitely signs of that. And I think what we're seeing now is that interest rates are now high, much higher, but I do believe they're going to stay higher for longer. And I believe that what we're seeing is the market accepting that and, and getting used to a return to normal monetary policy after a couple of decades. If the interest rates are going to stay higher for longer than we have hitherto thought, then are you still of the view that house prices will essentially stay flat for the next couple of years? I think that's what really needs to happen in New Zealand. What we need to see in New Zealand now is a period where the property market moves sort of sideways. It fluctuates, but roughly moves sideways and real incomes climb to sort of try and meet it. Because as we, as we all know, the, 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 uh, the inequalities that this is causing and the costs that it's putting through every facet of the economy has really impacted uh, consumers consumers spending power in New Zealand. So that would be my Goldilocks scenario. We seem to have come through the post-pandemic phase in good enough shape. There's talk of a nice soft landing, the current account deficit's narrowing, GDP growth looks okay, inward migration is strong, although it carries with it another set of issues. Inflation's coming down. So um, slowly, uh, maybe, <laughs> probably. What's not to, <laughs> What's not to like here? Well, I think I think that that keyword there is slowly, and I believe inflation will uh, start moving down, and it's, and it has moved down, and it is forecast to move lower into next year, and we're seeing that same trend repeated uh, all over the world, and and what we've seen is what I call a low uh, unemployment recession, so to speak, around the world where. Uh, economic activity has slowed, but actually unemployment hasn't shot higher. And I think that has been one reason, for example, why property markets um, have started recovering in certain parts of the world, including uh, uh, New Zealand. And we've seen a bounce back. I'm still doing the good news, but I'm about to get to the bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've seen a bounce back in global dairy prices, which suggests to some that Chinese consumers are spending again. Um, Does that suggest that to you? The recent consumer data that we've seen has indicated that uh, China's 
uh, consumers are out and, and spending again. And we have to remember that New Zealand's exports tend to be uh, what I could call uh, consumer staples. It's stuff that people need to have no matter what's going on in the world, like food, for example, we all have to eat. What we eat is a different story altogether, but we all still have to eat, for example. And uh, China, of course, uh, still has to feed their infants, etc. So that is going to put a, a floor on, on New Zealand dairy prices. Uh, if dairy prices sank uh, quickly, I'm sure we would see a lot of interest from parts of Asia, for example, to buy as much uh, New Zealand milk as they could to lock in those prices. So you know, we, we're sort of at that equilibrium at the moment. China does have its challenges, and I suspect you'll ask me some questions about that later <laughs> in the interview. Other parts of the economy, I guess we'll have to talk about. Yeah, overseas, yes, that's right. Overseas merchandise trade stats for the September quarter show goods exports fell $1.4 billion. The annual export to, exports to China have been falling since May. The New Zealand share market looks bearish. Shares have fallen nearly 20% since January 2021. When do you think they will climb back? This one's a challenging one, and I think what we're starting to see, not just in New Zealand, but around the world, we're starting to see the impact of all of this tightening by the world's central banks uh, over the last 18 months. Certainly in the United States, 10-year yields have hit 5%, and uh, we all know the story in New Zealand and, and the Reserve Bank in New Zealand. It might be finished. But I think that's a very 50-50 story, and I believe that's the same sort of 50-50 story around the rest of the world as well. And even if they have finished tightening, I don't believe that they're going to be in any hurry to cut interest rates, and, and that will be the story from around the world as well. And I, I think what we're starting to see now is the fact that you can get uh, such high yields relatively, when you compare it to the last 20 years, for fixed income deposits – that is starting to impact on uh, a consumer uh, um, uh, borrowing, as we know, interest rates of the cost of borrowing around the world has skyrocketed, and I think mortgage rates, and even in the United States right now, have had around eight percent as well. That's a story repeated everywhere, including New Zealand. So the cost of financing is finally starting to pinch uh, companies and consumers around the world, and that's what we're seeing. Uh, impacting uh, share markets around the world. And that's made it a challenging uh, environment for equities. I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I don't think, again, we should be looking for a V-shaped recovery in, uh, in equity markets. I, I suspect we're in for some choppy sideways range trading uh, over the next uh, couple of quarters until uh, things clarify on the world stage. Jeffrey Halley is with us. Looking further afield... Uh, as you say, getting back to China, Salon magazine is claiming China's economy to be in a much more parlous state than is officially or even unofficially acknowledged. Has China slipped into deflation? It's flirting with deflation is what I would call it. So it's a bit like Japan was for the last 20 to 30 years. Inflation has fallen to around zero. It's sort of ranging each side of zero percent so it's not in true deflation like we saw with uh, Japan where they've had those lost decades but it, it's flirting uh, with it at the moment I mean the good news here is that uh, China uh, domestic spending or retail spending seems to have stabilized but it has some immense challenges on the employment front and it has even bigger challenges in the property 
property market as well as we see some of these big Chinese uh, property conglomerates starting to default. Yeah, like Evergrande and Country Garden. And as you say, Absolutely. youth unemployment in, charge, uh, in China is large. Exports to the US are down from $50 billion per month at this time last year to less than $35 billion. Um, can we trust China's GDP figures at all? Because Salon, the aforementioned Salon magazine, reckons one group of economists found China's GDP to be 20% smaller than advertised. Carnegie scholar Michael Pettis says that if bad debt were included, overall GDP growth would be half of what's being reported. Is that what you perceive to be the situation in China, that it's actually a lot worse? I won't deny that there's a certain degree of smoke and mirrors uh, in the Chinese data and that they have made it harder for non-Chinese-based forecasters to access that data. Uh, We have to remember that China is a centrally planned economy. So the Chinese Communist Party tells everybody what to do. Uh, For example, if they want the banks to lend more, they just tell the banks to go and lend more and then they tell them what sectors to lend in. And uh, when youth unemployment, I believe, uh, hit, hit well over 20%, the Chinese solution to that is let's just stop collecting that data. So that data is collected privately now by estimates. But with the Chinese data, there are so many forecasters uh, watching China's economy and doing their own independent assessments. I don't think that the Chinese GDP data, for example, is too far off, uh, that the official figures are too far off what is actually uh, real. We can have some high degree of trust in that, and that's simply because all these major data points are being also calculated independently by other forecasts, both in China and particularly around the world. Okay. Joe Biden on the other side of the world is trying to get Congress to spend big money to save Israel and stop war in the Middle East and uh, even bigger money on preventing Russia defeating Ukraine. Meanwhile, the US economy may still go into recession or not. How would you assess the state of America? Well, when you saw the data that came out uh, this week on uh, on retail spending, I think it was somewhere around 5%. So the U.S. consumer seems to be alive and well, although most uh, economic models are predicting that that will slow down. Uh, government spending also uh, increased. I think what we're seeing in the States at the moment with some of this data is uh, companies are stocking up inventories uh, for the for the Christmas period. You have to look at what makes up the U.S. economy. So the U.S. economy is... of its GDP, uh, over 70% of its GDP is from domestic consumption. So the United States is its own little universe. It's so big, it has such a critical mass. It's like a black hole. It can suck everything in, but light can't escape. That 70% of every dollar that is spent in there is actually derived uh, domestically. And if I look at New Zealand, 57% of New Zealand's GDP is... um, is uh, is domestic consumption. But when you look at somewhere like Singapore, 75% of their GDP is from exports. So I think what we're seeing around the world here are, are countries that have high domestic components that make up overall GDP are, are, are managing better. China's been struggling. Other parts of Asia have been struggling. Chuck in a war in the Ukraine, and that's been weighing down uh, um, the, you know, uh, the, the European Union. And that, that's something that the US doesn't have to really uh, put up with. And then you have somewhere like New Zealand, which is sort of somewhere in the middle. 
there seem to be major factors right now that could yet send the global economy into another real tailspin. Uh, the IMF says global inflation could rise again off the back of rising oil prices as a result of Middle East turmoil. We may yet drift back into the doldrums. This is a very good question and one that's not easily answered, to be honest. The, the short answer is yes to the IMF. Uh, oil prices could shoot through $100 and inflation could rise and uh, if it rises far enough and central banks have to tighten hard enough to, to try and see that off, then we could see a, a, a recession. That's not really my base case at the moment, but we have to acknowledge that there are some serious geopolitical factors running around in the world. The Russia-Ukraine uh, war, uh, it's gone off the headlines because of what's been going on in the Middle East. But to me, that's a much more existential threat because so much food and so much energy and other resources come out of that part of the world. Uh, food is something that we often forget about. And I, I think yeah, we, we, can't, we can't dismiss those concerns. But on the other hand, it's almost impossible to forecast them a, a, as well. So I think the, the, the doom-mongering is perhaps overdone in, the, in these sorts of um, uh, situations at the moment. If people have money to put somewhere, I'm mindful that a lot of people don't, uh, where would they be putting it? Where is the best investment at the moment? I think defensively is is, is what you, you need to do. If, you, if you're sitting on the sidelines, there's nothing wrong with holding um, money in, um, in more heavily weighted towards cash. But when I look in uh, New Zealand at the moment, I mean, every single major trading bank, and they usually have the worst deposit rates, they're all offering over 6% in the or 6% or thereabouts, for example, in, in the two-year, sort of three-year tenors. I mean, I don't think deposit rates in New Zealand for longer-term deposits have, have been better. And if you're defensive, there's worse things to be doing than perhaps looking in those areas as well. So, I mean, without giving blatant investment advice to everybody, but understanding the fact that the world outlook is cautious, I think defensive plays... Um, defensive plays aren't such a bad way to, to go and they may not be exciting or may even be a bit boring but there's so much noise in the world right now with uh with, with the way the world is electronic uh, information dissemination there's more noise than there's ever been and i think sometimes it's important to just stick your fingers in your ears and block out that noise and, and concentrate on the fundamentals very good uh, always good to talk with you as usual too jeffrey thanks very much for your time uh, always a pleasure, Jim. Thanks for having me along.